welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, failed to mention that uh, Celia's a little under the weather. She was going to be doing a special for us today, but she's been under the weather, so y'all remember her. Uh, also, if you will, turn to, uh, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We uh, are going through 1 Corinthians and going through it verse by verse. And uh, last week, we took a week off as we prepared for Thanksgiving and looked at a passage there from the book of Psalms. But uh, today, we want to get back into our study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, today, I'm going to preach part one of a two-part message. So if you're here today, that means you have to be back next week to get the best half of this sermon, okay? You're going to get the worst half today. The best part comes next week. So you got to come back both weeks and um, bring somebody with you. Now, today... As we begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 1, I'll ask if you are willing and able to please stand with your Bibles open in honor and in reverence of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you and praise you and thank you today, Lord. God, we rejoice in the fact that we get to uh, be a part and witness this baptism today. And we're so thankful for what you've done in Nate's life, God. And may you use him to be a mighty man of God, I pray. And I pray that, God, 
uh, you would continue to work in our services. We've already been able to rejoice and to sing praises to you today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to move in this place, continue to convict and challenge us as your people to be found faithful to you. I pray that we would not miss the message that you have for us here today, God. This is so important. God, I pray we not miss out on the abundant Christian life. I pray we not miss out on the joys and blessings that you have for those who belong to you, God. I pray, God, today, if there's anybody here who is lost, I pray that, God, you would convict them and show them they need you more than anything else in this world. And, God, I pray that, God, you would convict them and show them they need to be born again. God, may they be saved. Today is our prayer. May you challenge us as your church to examine ourselves and make sure that we are faithfully walking where we need to walk and how we need to walk to bring you the most honor and glory. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen. And you may be seated. One of the surest ways to fall into sin is to think that you can't. One of the surest ways to fall into sin is to think that it won't happen to you. In these verses, we find where the Apostle Paul really summarizes everything he's going to be saying in these 13 verses in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be very careful to think that you will not fall into sin, that you can just do whatever you want to do or I can do whatever I want to do. And because of how long I've been walking with Christ, because of how much I might know the Bible or or who I am, that I won't fall for the same sin that somebody else did. Paul said be very, very careful of that. Matter of fact, in these 13 verses, I believe he kind of divides it up in three different parts. He begins by talking about the blessings that God gave in verses 1 through 4. As he moves into verses 5 through 10, he gives examples of what not to do. Uh, examples of things that will cause us or or, or the potential for causing us to trip up into sin. And then lastly, in verses 11 through 13, he gives us a stern warning from God. Now this morning, we're not going to be able to cover all 13 of these verses, but I do hope to cover these first two parts here of this text. Now, in order to do that, to properly understand what Paul is saying here, and again, what's the first three rules of Bible interpretation? Context, context, and context. We need to understand the context and we'll properly understand why is he saying all the things that he's saying in chapter 10. Remember, he's writing to the church at Corinth. This is a church he wrote to more than any other church. This is the church that gave him the most problems of any church. It is in a city that, and we all know the the, the theme to Las Vegas, what stays in Vegas, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, in Corinth, they would say, boy, you better hope it don't get out what happened in Corinth. Corinth was was so much worse. It was a sexually perverse city that even the Romans thought, man, you have lost your mind. When you've lost your mind, you act like a Corinthian. It's in that environment that God has planted a church. And isn't it great that God can plant a church anywhere? And he can grow and call out people to salvation. A church has been born there. Uh, Paul has led that church for many months, and it was thriving. It was doing well. But once Paul leaves, they start having all kind of trouble. And Paul's addressing it here in in 1 Corinthians. And and beginning in chapter 7, remember, he is answering questions that they had. They had questions about marriage and different things about marriage and divorce and all that. And he answers those in chapter 7. But then in chapter 8, he's asked a very interesting question. Can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? 
Now remember, in that day and time, the, the best meat usually came from a, a temple. Someone would bring a, a piece of, uh, bring an animal or a piece of meat to the temple. A third of it was burned on an altar. A third was eaten by the, the worshiper. And a third was given to the priest. Well, that priest can't eat all that food. So they would sell it basically out the back door at a discounted price. A lot of Greeks grew up wanting to buy that meat because it was cheaper. Plus, in their mind, they thought any evil spirit has been cast out. After all, it's been through a sacrificial service. So these people grew up eating that food, and now they're Christians. And they ask the question, can we eat that food now? Well, Paul answers the question. It's just meat. You can eat it. There's no such thing as an idol. As we'll see later on, there are demons they have to worry about. But there were some Christians who struggled with that. And Paul says, listen, you don't want to do anything that will cause your brother to stumble. And he takes three chapters to answer their question, and he centers around this one issue, Christian liberty. What is Christian liberty? Under the old covenant, God had several rules and guidelines for everything, what they could wear, what they could eat, and, and, and what days to worship, how worship was to take place. Under the new covenant, they no longer have a dietary code. They no longer have the restrictions on clothing, other than the fact they are dressed modestly. Uh, they, they can worship any day of the week they want. They choose to worship on Sunday because it's the Lord's day. But now they have these freedoms that they didn't have before. The problem is some people took those freedoms way too far. And Paul will say, listen, just because you can do something doesn't mean you need to do it. If it causes your brother or sister to sin, don't do it. If they're looking at you as an example and you are causing them problems, don't do it. And he talks about that in chapter 8. In chapter 9, he talks about how he himself, he gave up freedoms. Paul, an apostle, could have gotten a check from the church at Corinth. You remember what he said? I didn't even take a check from y'all because I knew some of y'all would think he's in it for the money. And Paul said, I don't want to hinder anyone from hearing the gospel. That was Paul's desire, for everyone to hear the gospel and for everyone to get saved. So Paul goes in to talk about how he is all things to all people. And he makes a very interesting statement in verse 21 of chapter 9. He said, to those who are without the law, talking about those Gentiles, who had become Christians or those who didn't follow the Old Testament rituals about food and things like that. To those who were without the law, as without the law, not being without a law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. Paul grew up his entire life never eating pork. But if he went to a non-believer's house or a, a, a Greek's house, he's trying to win them to Jesus. And those Greeks had a barbecue bu buffet. All you can eat barbecue, full pork, okay? Classic St. Louis-style ribs were right there with all the sauces. Paul would not go and say, nope, <laughs> I'm Jewish. I'm not eating that pork. See you later. Maybe someone else will tell you about Jesus. No, Paul would sit down. He'd have that meal because guess what? Eating those pulled pork, those St. Louis ribs, again, wouldn't send him to hell. But it may give him an opportunity to reach that lost person. You see what they, That's what he would say. But at the same time, do you see in parentheses there? He says, I still have a law toward Christ now. There's a line I won't cross. Paul's saying, I'm not going to get drunk to reach a drunkard. I, I'm not going to commit fornication to, to reach a fornicator. I, I, I'm not going to lie to reach a liar. I'm not going to steal to reach a thief. There are some things I'm not going to do. Because if I do, as he says in verse 27 of chapter 9, it will disqualify me. After me preaching everything 
If I do something that violates my testimony or hurts my testimony, I won't be able to reach him. That's the context that Paul's saying, remember now. This is very important. We won't understand chapter 10. Paul is talking about how there's a limit to the personal freedom because he didn't want to do anything to disqualify himself. And now he moves into chapter 10 to talk to the Corinthians. And he begins by sharing them the blessings that they have from God. Notice what he says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to fail to understand something. They need to get this truth down. If it's something that the Corinthians did constantly, it was misunderstanding and not being aware of what the Bible says. He says here, I don't want you to be unaware that all are fathers. When he talks about fathers here, he's writing, remember, to the church at Corinth. They're made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, okay? Now, the Jews could trace their lineage all the way back to the 12 tribes of Israel. They could trace their lineage back to Abraham. The Gentiles, on the other hand, could not do that. But the Bible teaches that Abraham is the father of the faith. And once they became a born-again child of God, those Old Testament saints began to be their spiritual ancestors or spiritual fathers. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's talking about all our spiritual fathers, and he begins to describe their exodus from Egypt. Their exodus from Egypt and their wandering in the wilderness to the promised land. Now, it says here that they were, he talks about the blessings. The first one is found right here in this verse that they received direction. It says, and all our fathers were under the cloud. If you remember in the book of Exodus, God led them as they left Egypt with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God directed them. God showed them exactly where to go. Isn't that what the word of God does for us today? It shows us where we're to go. The Holy Spirit directs directs us and guides us. But then we also see not just direction, but salvation. It says, and all passed through the sea. As they left Egypt, remember they came to the Red Sea. The Bible says that God parted those seas and they marched across not on muddy ground, not on watery ground, not on slippery ground, but on dry ground. God parted the sea, caused the land to be dry. Not one single wheel got stuck in the mud. Not one sandal got stuck in the mud. And they crossed over. What happens when they got to the other side? The Egyptians, if you remember, who were chasing them, run into that place. And God brings down the water and kills them. But what did he do for the nation of Israel? He saved them. They had salvation. They were saved. They were delivered from the bondage of slavery. They had been in for 400 years in in, in Egypt. We notice there in verse 2, this identification. All were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This can be a difficult verse to really understand. But in essence, what Paul is saying here is that when they followed Moses, they identified with him. That's what baptism does. Today, when Nate was baptized, he's identifying with Jesus Christ. He's pledging his allegiance to all of y'all to see that he's following Christ. And when you got baptized, that's what you were doing. You were declaring that I'm following Christ. I've been born again. I've been changed on the inside. Here, they are following Moses. God gave them a leader, and they had a choice. They could have stayed on the bank, or they could have followed Moses. They chose to follow. They were identified with him through that baptism. And the Bible says also they get provision. In verses 3 and 4, the Bible says they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. The Bible teaches us that God provided 
for the Israelites during their journey. If you remember, he provided manna. Manna that showed up six days a week outside like dew on the ground. They just went and collected, and it was their bread to eat. God provided for them. They provided every day, but on the Sabbath day. They had to collect twice as much on Friday to cover without having any on Saturday. But come around on Sunday, it was there again for them. God provided for them that spiritual food, that manna that they needed. The spiritual drink, if they went somewhere where there wasn't a well, you know what God told Moses to do? Hit a rock. And when they hit a rock, water came out. That happened two times here in their wilderness journey. So God provided for them the the food they would need, the water they would need. And the Bible says here that they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. What does he mean by that? There was a rabbi tradition, a Jewish tradition, based on numbers in chapter 20, that literally a rock followed them. And whenever they got into a bind, Moses would just hit that rock, as God would say, and water would come out. Paul may have had that in mind when he is talking to this congregation. And he says, oh, there was a rock following him. And my Bible saw capital because he's referring to Jesus Christ. Christ was there. It, it wasn't just a physical rock. It was Christ providing for them. Christ was the one guiding them. Christ was the one who, who saved them. Christ was the one who did all of that. What Paul is saying here is that they all received these blessings from God. Nothing that took place here was a work of the Jewish people. It was all because of God's grace. Because he chose to do that for his people. He made a promise to Abraham and he kept that promise. Isn't it awesome that God keeps his promises? You know anybody who doesn't? God keeps his promises. Here, he has blessed them by his grace. We think about Thanksgiving. If you're a child of God, you've been saved by the grace of God. He has provided everything that you will need. He has provided his word and his spirit to guide you and direct you and empower you. He has delivered you from the family of Satan and put you in his family. He has adopted you into his family. Now you're a joint heir with Christ, delivered. And we can rejoice in that. And all that blessing. But you know, God believe God wanted to do, wants to do so much more for us. Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. Do you know where the Israelites were going to? They were going to the promised land. They were going to a place filled with milk and honey. They were going to a place God said, I'm giving you cities that you did not build. I'm giving you vineyards you did not plant. I'm going to bless your socks off in this place. It's flowing with milk and honey. You'll have more than you'll ever need. I'm going to take you to this wonderful place. Wouldn't everybody just sign up for it? Only two of them went to it. After all those blessings, the others squandered it away. God wanted to do this for them, but they chose to have their own way. And as a result, they missed out. And that's what Paul wants them to say. Notice what he says here in verse 5. But most of them, he goes from all to most, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Experts tell us that there may have been uh, nearly 2.5 million people in this group. There's over 600,000 fighting age men in this group that is going up out of Egypt. If you remember, God's going to provide for them. They're going to grumble and complain. Eventually, they're going to get 
to the edge of the promised land in a matter of days and weeks. And as they get there, they want to go spy out the land. God says, okay, you go spy it out. You're going to find out it's just like I said it was. They send in 12 spies in that land, if you remember. Those spies come back, and they give a report. Ten of those spies said, you know what? Those people are too big and too strong. We're like grasshoppers or something. They're going to eat us up. They'll kill our children. It'll be awful. It'll be awful. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, the only two men that went, came back with a good report. It is just as God said. The grapes are huge there. Yeah, there's big cities, but we got a big God. Don't y'all remember what happened in the last 14, 15 months down in Egypt? How he brought that country to its knees? We've got a God who brought darkness everywhere. We got a God who struck down the firstborn. Everyone, we got a God who showed he is greater than anything. We can take it. Let's go get it. And if you remember what they did, they had a business meeting to decide whether or not to follow the will of God. God's already told them, beyond dispute, here's what I want you to do. They voted on that. If you remember, only Joshua and Caleb voted to go. The rest of them did not. And the rest of them will not go in. Instead of marching on into the promised land and conquering it, no, they'll march around in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation dies off. They wanted sometimes to go back into Egypt. You know what God said? No, I'm not letting you go back into slavery. I've already saved you. And once you've been saved, you've been saved. But if you want the joy of your salvation, it is not found in the wilderness. It's found in the promised land. It's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. In the promised land, there were battles to be fought, but there were victories to be had. There were blessings from God there. But they had to be willing to trust God and to take it. They chose not to. And the Bible says their bodies were scattered over the wilderness. That word scattered, it's the same word that we find in the New Testament, translated where Jesus overthrew the money changer's table. Y'all remember Jesus went to the temple and they were selling and buying stuff and how the money and all that stuff there. I'm sure there were animals there, maybe on cages. And he just throws the table up. Do you think all that money just stacked up neatly? Now he's Jesus. He could have done that if he wanted to. <laughs> I believe it was a good old mess. That's the picture here. It's really a picture of what happens when a tornado or a hurricane comes through. It just throws things everywhere. Paul says that because of their sin and lack of following God, they will be scattered all over the wilderness. Notice he says here in verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent. God has a purpose for listening. Now church, I'm fixing to move quickly okay you may need to write some of these passages down okay but i need to cover this today i don't want you to miss this this is so important for every child of god that you do not miss what paul is saying here in this text he gives here five examples of the sin that they had committed he gives five examples i want you to notice with me in verse six he says now these things became our examples to the intent for the purpose that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That word lust, it means to have a crave, a warning, or desire for something. The context determines whether it's good or bad. The context determines whether it's good. Here the context makes it very clear. Determines what is evil. Not to lust after evil things. Not to want things that are evil. I'm here to tell you, God has good plans in store for you. God has a perfect will for your life. We must desire the will of God for our life. If we choose to desire evil things, there will be a high price to pay. 
there will be things we will miss out on that God wants to give us. This is a picture in Numbers chapter 11. Whenever the Israelites came out, it wasn't just Israelites that left. The Bible says it was a mixed multitude that went with them. Who is the mixed multitude? Most scholars believe the mixed multitude were Egyptians who lived in that land. They saw what the God of the Israelites did. They saw, they lived in a land that had hundreds of gods, and all of a sudden this one God is greater than all the other gods. And they heard that the Israelites were leaving. Well, I'm going with them. I'm going to follow that God. And as they leave, they get going in the promised land. Guess what? God's feeding them with manna. He's not feeding them with other things that they used to eat. And they began to complain about when they used to eat the fish they wanted. They used to eat all the, the onions and the leeks and all that other stuff that they used to have. Melons, all that stuff they had. And now they got to eat this powery substance. And they began to lust after what they used to have. They began to gripe and complain about it. And guess what? Some of the Israelites joined in. Even those that were slaves began to lust or long for that time back when they were in Egypt. And it aroused the anger of God. And many of them died as a consequence of that. After God had showed them such grace, such mercy, they chose to go back to that old lifestyle. Here, hey, here's a warning for us, church. As a child of God, we should never long for or lust for that old lifestyle. Sometimes living the Christian life can get tough and it can get difficult at times. But don't ever lust or crave after things that God says you don't want. As I've said before, I heard a preacher years ago, one of my preaching heroes, said if we knew our Bible better, we would pray less. We have a tendency to pray about things that God has already spoken on. God's already said some things are wrong, and there's no sense in praying about it. There's no sense in lost, lusting after those things and warning those things. If God says it's evil, it's evil. And he will never, ever change his mind. Society can change all the time, but God never will. And because they began to lust after those things, they began to desire them. And as a result, many of them died. There are people who think the grass is greener on the other side. And they'll wander outside of God's boundary. As the old preacher said, usually it's greener because it's sitting over a septic tank or fill lines. You don't want to go there. You better stay where God has you. You better desire and crave after the things of God. You say, well, preacher, I don't desire that. Well, you need to ask God to give you a hunger for him. Because if you hunger and thirst after Christ, you will, he, he will satisfy you. If you hunger and desire after things of this world, you will always be hungry. But Christ will satisfy. So he says, don't the lust. Secondly, notice what he says here in verse 7. And do not become idolaters as some of them as it is written, the prophets sat down to eat. I'm sorry, the people sat down to eat and drank and rose to play. This is a reference to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting the laws from God. He's getting the, the, the design for the tabernacle. He and Joshua are up there. He puts Aaron in control. Aaron's in charge. Aaron, Moses is gone for a while. He don't know when he's coming back. The people pressure Aaron to make him an idol. He says, give me your jewelry, your earrings. He put it in a fire, and I love his excuse to Moses. Hey, I just put it in a fire, and a, and a calf came out. <laughs> wow. That was pretty incredible, too, wasn't it? There's a calf they start to worship. The Bible says that the Israelites, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. I'm just going to say this right now because we're going to have to come back to it in a minute. That term rose up to play, best case scenario, they engaged in some kind of uh, pagan revelry and dancing uh, worst case scenario, what it probably means they got involved in some kind of sexual activity. That's typically what happened with that phrase. While Moses is on the mountain, 
This is what they're doing. God sends Moses back down, if you remember. And as a result, he brings judgment. God brings judgment on those people. And 3,000 men died because of that. It was a terrible, terrible thing that happened. Can I just remind you, in case you don't know, God is a jealous God. He is a God of mercy and grace, but he is jealous. And why is he jealous? Because he is the only one that is good. If we seek after anything other than him, we're going after something that is not good. Something that will take us away from him. He's the only one who can protect us. He's the only one who can save us. It's him and him alone. And if we put anything or anyone ahead of him, we become idolaters. The Bible tells us very clearly the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the number one command. Anything else is idolatry. And because of that, there's not a single person in this room who hadn't one time or another fallen into idolatry. Maybe even right now, you're in the middle of it. If you love yourself more than you love God, you are an idolater. Anything that takes that place. The great prophet John, before he died, of the disciple John, one of the last things he said was, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Don't become an idolater. Corinth was full of them, and there was a temptation to to fall into that again. Verse 8, he says here, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. This is a reference to Numbers 25. Very quickly, in Numbers 25, the Israelites are going through the wilderness and no one can stop them. God's with them. The king of Moab, his name is Balak, he sees what's going on. He says, listen, I got to do something. I don't have an army big enough. He hears about a guy named Balaam who is a prophet for hire. He hires Balaam to come over here and curse the Israelites. Balaam says, okay, I'll try, but whatever comes out, comes out. He puts him on a high mountain. They have a big, uh, big shindig. They, they sacrifice stuff. And Balaam opens his mouth. You know what comes out? A blessing. God will not let the man curse him. But it appears that Balaam is going to get paid based on his performance. And before he leaves, he instructs Balak on how he is to get the Israelites, how he can defeat them. Here's what he tells them to do. You go down there in the valley, here's what you do. You have a big old barbecue get you a bunch of, uh, of liquor and drugs out there, and then I want you to get a bunch of women to run around with very little clothing on, and the men will go to it. And that's exactly what happened. Men from Israel went down in there, and then God brought his judgment on them. God brought his judgment. It, it was a ferocious scene. After Moses calls the people out, one of them has the audacity to bring one into the camp of Israel. And there's a whole other sermon I'd like to preach. I don't have time this morning on that. But the Bible says that that day 23,000 men died for the sexual immorality they committed. Over the next day, another 1,000 died for a total of 24,000 died as a result of that sexual fornication. In the city of Corinth, they are full of sexual immorality. There was a temple there to Aphrodite. There was over 1,000 priestesses that were there. All those priestesses were, were prostitutes. It was, it was rampant everywhere. And these Christians are, are talking about going to some of these temples for different services. Oh, we're not going to engage in anything bad. Paul's saying in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Don't even go near it. Because God is a jealous God. And he will not 
tolerate it from his people. Sexual sin is some of the most uh, dangerous sin there is. Y'all remember Samson? Samson is great judge of God. Why is it that his story is so tragic? Because he chased after Philistine women instead of marrying a Jewish woman that God would have had for him. He could have been a leader and he died the way he did. Such a waste. You think about King David. King David, here's a man who's winning everything until what? His army goes to war. He stays at home. He sees a woman bathing from his front, from his back porch. He calls her. Somebody tells him, you don't want to do this. This is so-and-so's granddaughter. Don't do that. She's married to one of your best soldiers. He commits adultery. She gets pregnant. And what does he do to cover it up? He kills the man, one of his greatest soldiers. Has he murdered? What happened when Nathan confronted him probably a year later? Here's what Nathan said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. He says to David, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. What you've done, David. Here is a man who did so much the rest of his life. You know what he experiences? Death, defeat, discouragement. God forgave him. But you look at his life before this, and you look at his life after, and it's two different lives. He paid a high price for that sin. God can forgive, but there's still consequences. I remember as a youth minister sitting at a work, the place I worked at, I've told y'all before, a lot of times I could sit at a table, open up my Bible, have all the room I wanted. And I sat down, I had my Bible out, and I'd been trying to reach some of my coworkers. There were several supervisors that I had, and, and one of them I was trying to reach. He was new to the area. I was going to try and invite him to church, and I was looking for the right time. It was on break, and he sat down right across from me. I was like, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm out on the clock. I, I got full reign to him, at least for five minutes. He said, what you studying? I said, I'm studying David. And before I could get through telling him what I was going to do, he said, he started smirking and laughing. Oh, yeah, David. He's that guy that had that affair, isn't he? And then murdered the husband and wanted. Man, that was pretty bad, wasn't it? Here's a guy. Best I can tell was lost. Wasn't going to church anywhere. When he thought about David, he wasn't thinking about Goliath. He wasn't thinking about him uh, writing the 23rd Psalm. He was thinking about his sin. That Nathan said, you have given the enemies of God are reason to blaspheme. Man, that, that, that broke my heart as I tried to, to talk to him there. And listen, I'm not trying to sit here and say that I'm greater than David. Let me tell you something, church. Listen up now. Wake the person up next to you now. I, I'm, I'm almost done. If David could do that, don't you think for a minute you can't. Don't you think for a minute. It might not be the same sin David did, but don't you think for a minute you can't ruin your testimony. Don't think you can't cause serious problems with just one act. If it could happen to the man who would write the 23rd Psalm, it could happen to you and it can happen to me. Don't be overconfident. Take heed lest you fall. Uh, very quickly, I've got to finish this today. Verse 9. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. In Numbers 21, as they are going through the wilderness journey, it gets tough. They begin to complain and gripe. And what does God do? He sends serpents among them to strike them. These serpents strike them. And once again, thousands of them will wind up dying because, why? Because they tempted Christ and they were destroyed by those serpents. 
Don't think for a minute that you and I can tempt Jesus Christ. Don't sit here for a minute day and say, well, I'm saved. I'm born again by the grace of God. I can't lose my salvation. It doesn't matter what I do. Oh, no, it does too, does too matter what you do. Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, if you want to continue in sin after you've been saved, why would you? Why would you want to tempt God? Why do you think that God can't just remove you right now? Because I'm here to tell you, he can. He'll still be holy. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. Amen? And don't tempt him. Paul is warning the Corinthians, look in history, look at what happened to Israel. These are his chosen people. These are the people he delivered out of Egypt, and yet they did this. They tempted God. And God said, I've had enough. Don't tempt Christ. Then we see here in verse 10, it says, nor complain as others of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Here is a powerful, powerful imagery here. In Numbers chapter 16, there is a man named Korah. Korah thinks he can do the job of Moses. And he thinks he can do a better job than Moses. He tries to take Moses' position. A place that, listen, Moses didn't ask for that spot. God put him there. God's the one who called him to do that. He gave every excuse of why he could do it. God placed him there. Korah said, I can do Moses' job and I can do it better. Who's with me? And Moses pleaded with him, please don't do this. Please don't do this. This will not end well for you. They, they, they have a day where they said, let's let God decide who he is with. And those that gather with Korah and those that gather with Moses and those who gather with Korah, Moses said, God will show us who he is with. And you know how he showed them? God literally opened the earth and swallowed up Korah and all those that followed him. Swallowed them up consume them they're gone and then the next day the people who are left over they get mad you know what they get mad at moses because moses had, had it's because of you that those people died and god had enough because here's the deal when they went complaining to moses you know, you know who they were really complaining to god god's the one who put them there that day that second day fourteen thousand died that complained about the Lord's leadership. Let me say something real quick, right? It's just a little parentheses commercial because there's a lot of people, I think, distort this whole thing about who the man of God is, okay? Just because someone stands in a pulpit does not make them the man of God. Just because someone carries around the Bible does not make them the man of God. Just because they, they, they are leading a church doesn't mean that God has called them to lead that church. Be very careful about using that term. This, Moses, was undeniably the man of God. God literally spoke to him audibly. There was no doubt here. You understand? There was no doubt. There was, when he was speaking, he was literally speaking the very words of God. And they were to follow it, not reject it. And as a result, as they complained and griped, God removed them. I, I'm here to tell you, this last thing I ever want to be in church is a complainer and a griper. I'm here to tell you, God has no place for it. Have we not been blessed beyond belief, church? We've been blessed beyond belief. Here, these folks begin to complain about God's leadership. God just removed them. Hebrews chapter 10 says the reason why we meet here today is to encourage one another, to build each other up. Church, today in this text, we see five examples. Five examples that the Corinthians 
were to avoid. There's something I want to say about those verses 6 through 10. The verbs that are used in those verses, Paul is saying, you need to stop it now. He's not saying in verses 6 through 10, you need to watch out for it. He says, you need to stop it now. There were people in that church already that were committing sexual morality, that were already complaining, that were already doing all those other things, the, the temp tempting of Christ, the lusting after evil things. He's saying, you need to stop it now. Because the Israelites didn't stop. It cost them two things. First, it cost them their lives because of their sin. Make no mistake, they died in the wilderness because of their sin. God struck them down. Because God is a holy God. He struck them down after all he had done for them. They wanted to go back into slavery. He would not let them do that. He simply struck them down. Secondly, they missed out on the promised land because of their sin. Because of their sin, they didn't get to enjoy everything God wanted to give them. There's so many Christians that are miserable, and I wonder, why are you miserable? Why are you miserable? Are you miserable because of your sin in your life? Is there idolatry in your life? Is there something in your life that you need to get rid of and you won't let go of it? And that's why God will not give you the joy that he wants to? Oh, my goodness, church. You talk about a looking in the mirror message. This is it. God wants to give us an abundant Christian life. He wanted to do it for Israel. They just wouldn't do it. Why? Because of their sin. Sin always robs us, church. That's why we can't tolerate it. That's why we can't get close to it. Because if you play with fire, you will get burned. The Corinthians were headed down that same path. They were headed down a path of disqualification. And Paul says you better look at yourself. And you had better examine. You know, a lot of people don't like history. And I get it. I love history. I think it's awesome. I love to study how things were. And, and, and there's a saying in history. Those who don't know it are doomed to repeat it. Why are things going on in our country today? People don't know history. That's why they're going on. Uh, why are people continually making the same mistakes? They're not learning from history. Let me tell you something, we're all going to sin. We're all going to be tempted to sin. There's nothing uh, wrong with being tempted to sin. Jesus was tempted to sin. He just didn't do it. And when we sin, we need to learn from it, not to do it again. Don't be ignorant and keep on doing it. Don't abuse the grace of God. I run into a lot of Christians. They've been saved from hell. And then they want to spend the rest of their life seeing how much hell they can have in their life on the way to heaven. Well, there's something mentally wrong with that person. There's something mentally wrong with you if your process is how much evil can I have in my life and be okay with God. You have missed the gospel. You have missed what this Bible says. The Bible says flee from it. Church, today, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know if idolatry is a real problem for you. I don't know if, if you're tempting God. You, you, you're griping and complaining to him all the time after how good he's been to you. I, 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 don't, I don't know if the, he's told you to do something and you keep tempting him by not doing it. He's warned you and you keep on keeping on. I, I, I don't know if, if you're lusting after something you don't need to. 
I don't know if you're committing sexual immorality or not. You know, Jesus said if you look on a person the wrong way, a man looks on a woman in his heart, he's already committed in his heart. I'm telling you, these are things that will rob us of the blessings of God, and they will incur and will invite the wrath of God. All you have to do is look through this Bible, and you'll see it. Hey, in the Old Testament, it's all the way through. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and in Acts of the Fire, what did they do? Lied to the Holy Spirit, tempted God. What did God do? Struck them down. In the own church at Corinth, in chapter 11, it says, in chapter 11, in verse 30, because they did not take the Lord's Supper the right way, didn't take it with the right heart. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means that God has killed them. In their own church, they didn't have to go far to look. He says in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chased of the Lord, that we will not be condemned with the world. Why did God strike them down? Because they're not going to be condemned with the world. God was going to go ahead and discipline them. Church, I, I, I want to challenge you today to be honest with God. I don't want our church to miss out on anything. I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't want my family to miss out on anything. Paul's talking about Christian freedom. It affects others, but it also affects you. Guard yourself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you do for us. I ask now, God, that you would move in a mighty way in this congregation and in this house and those who may be listening. Oh, God, would you bring conviction on every single one of us if we claim to be a follower of yours. Oh, God, if there's anything in our life that is not right, not pleasing to you, oh, God, reveal it to us that we might correct it, repent of it, turn away from it today. Oh, God, today I pray for anyone who may be here that's lost. Lord, they've never had a desire for you. They've never had a, an inkling, Lord, to want to serve you and worship you. And, Lord, they're lost. And, God, would you save them today? Show them they need to be born again, I pray. Oh, God, please move today in a mighty way. Let none of us leave this place unaffected by you and your spirit today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today, as we get ready for this invitation.